Written on the pages of the great book of nature lies a truth so profound that it has beckoned men and women throughout the ages to seek its wisdom. We will continue this quest and study many stories of humanity as we search for this light. On this journey, we will examine philosophy, religion, and science to uncover the hidden mysteries behind myth and legend using the symbols of universal Freemasonry. Welcome to Legends of the Craft. Welcome back to Legends of the Craft. I'm here with Brother Matthias, as always, and today we have with us Brother Karen Kidd, author of Haunted Chambers and On Holy Ground. Uh, her specialty is the history of women in Freemasonry. And I'm going to start us off, Brother Matthias, with a quote um, from one of Brother Karen Kidd's books here. As this is merely a tradition, I have not mentioned it in my history of Melrose, preferring to abide by the written testimony of the preserved records. But... I have been frequently assured that although not mentioned in the minutes, that it is nonetheless a fact, the lady's name being given as Tibbs Skin, which is the vernacular for Isabella Schoon. It is said that she was so impressed with the solemnity of her obligation that she ever afterwards distinguished herself in works of charity. This is another addition to the list of Lady Freemasons, and I have no doubt other ancient lodges have their lady members just as ancient buildings have their haunted chambers. That's really a great quote. Brother Karen, could you tell us where this quote came from and its significance? Brother uh, W. Fred Vernon was a well-known Masonic scholar of the late 19th century, and he was writing about an early woman Freemason who had been a member of Melrose Lodge in the very early, very early period of the modern craft. And this is in a period where women had been members of lodges, specifically smaller lodges, country lodges, where it wouldn't make too much of a fuss. There are other women that are documented. But he is writing after a period where um, these women were generally explained away. And uh, Isabella Schoon is unique in that they, no one tried to explain her away. They simply tried to suppress her memory. As he mentions, she is, is not in their minutes. Uh, they don't have a full set of minutes. That's not unusual for any lodge, but they certainly know that she was a member of that lodge, and it's no big deal. It wasn't a big deal for a while. So in your research, Brother Karen Kidd, and when you came across this quote, what was it that stuck out to you for you to title your book Haunted Chambers? Like, why was it that this quote was so impactful to you? Uh, because uh, women by this time, by 1897, uh, had been reduced to ghosts in Freemasonry. Um, they, their presence had been explained away. Uh, they would explain, oh, we let this woman in because she was hiding in, in you know, a garden chest and heard everything and we had to let her in or we had to obligate her. Uh, I, these stories come up too often and they have the same thing going on that the woman has, has snuck in. We didn't let her in, she snuck in because they don't want to admit they let her in. And uh, then why did she get to still continue? Well, we'd obligated her. She was in. Uh, and then by the middle of the 18th century, um, when the guys become a, more belligerent about the idea of letting women in, then 
you have this idea that you're not going to let them in, but they still kept coming in. They found ways past the lodge room door. And so, but they're haunting. They're not full members, they're ghosts. So these ghosts, at what point in history were they not ghosts? How far back do we have to go? The earliest known, in the modern craft, the earliest known woman Freemason is Elizabeth Aldworth, who was a member of a lodge in Ireland. And uh, now the story we have about her is the same story. She, she wasn't hiding. She fell asleep in the library and, uh, and saw too much, and they had to let her in. Well, fine. I think that's a gloss. I really do. But then she's allowed to continue in large part because she's a wealthy woman, no one's going to keep her out. She becomes master of her lodge at least once, and the Provincial Grand Lodge of <laughs> Munster still has her apron. There was no big deal, but this is the early 18th century. It's before you have that many Grand Lodges. This is when a lot of lodges are independent, and things are still very fluid. But she is a member. Now, of course, she's from the propertied classes. Early masonry likes this idea. She, um, she, this is something that, uh, forgive me that I bounce around, this is something that gets into the definition of free and why the guys were uh, belligerent about having women masons. It's not because they hated women. It's not that much misogyny. For Freemasonry, uh, most women, the vast majority of women in the early 18th century are not free. They are not allowed to own property. They can't represent themselves in court. This is difficult. This is why they are ranked between slaves and uh, lewd and licentious men, I think is what Anderson says. Because she, <laughs> you, you have somebody who doesn't own themselves and you have somebody who can't control themselves and the woman's right in between. They're in the same class. The difference with Aldworth and a lot of these early women masons is that they were exceptions. They did own property. They were educated. They were as free as you could be and still be female in that period. They were free. They met the requirements to be a Freemason. It wasn't their gender that kept them out. It became their gender. I mean, I think that's a decent explanation of why women really weren't part of the craft in the past. So what happened after, you know, women's suffrage? What happens when they can vote and own property and now they own businesses and, you know, they're not the ones necessarily staying home to take care of kids? Uh, though your argument sounds good for 200 years ago, what's the argument today, Karen? Well, the argument tends to, it's two levels. One, we don't want women in our lodge, which is fine. The male craft do not want women in their lodge. I don't want women in their lodges either. <laughs> because That's a good point. I like that. Well, it, it's... There should be a choice, and there is a choice. This is one thing I, I say over and over and over. You should, we should have lodges, gender-based lodges for men or just women. We should also have lodges of both. And we know that system can work because it does. We do have that choice. So if, if you're a woman who is not comfortable with men, I'm not going to say, wow, that's an interesting character flaw. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to say there are lodges for you. You don't have to be a co-mason. You can't be a male craft mason. You're a woman. But there are lodges for you, even in this country. And I like this idea of choice. For a long time, uh, the, uh, the male craft in this country didn't see it that way. In fact, even now, you'll encounter male craft masons who 
they feel that, and I hate to speak for them because I've never been a male craft mason, but they feel that acknowledging women in the craft means that they have to integrate. And I don't understand that leap of logic because I don't think that says that at all. You know, Brother Karen Kidd, that leap of logic is the same absurd leap of logic I would hear about gay marriage back when that was uh, an issue. This idea that, well, if we let the gays marry, then people are just going to start marrying animals. You know? <laughs> it's this idea that, like, oh, if we, if we recognize a woman as a Freemason, then I'm just going to have to be a woman or start initiating women. Like, it's, it's an absurd leap to it's a logical fallacy it is a logical fallacy because the, just because you acknowledge something existent in the world doesn't mean that either you are then that or that you have to agree with it or participate in it you can still have your lodge but you do also have to recognize objective reality women are initiated passed and raised and are masons yeah i would i would agree i would not use the word recognize in the same vein as acknowledge because recognition is a front office word and involves amity agreements and stuff. Acknowledge means it's you recognize. You, excuse yeah. me, I almost did it myself. <laughs> you acknowledge that this is a truth, and it doesn't. It doesn't affect you at all. Your lodge is still your lodge. Your order is still your order. Everything's fine. Nothing has to change. It's what Brother Graham Love referred to in the 1980s as the soft solution, that we can acknowledge the truth that. There are women Freemasons. The truth, it's right in front of you. There are women Freemasons. It's okay. And there's far less pressure on the male craft or female craft to change. They don't have to change. I think that's exactly uh, an excellent point to mention here is that if they would acknowledge women Masons and co-Masons, they would actually strengthen their own position. Not only because there wouldn't be so much social pressure on them, but also because... These male craft masons, their wives would have an option. Their daughters would have an option. It would strengthen their own position. It would strengthen our position. It would collectively strengthen masonry worldwide. It's a, it's a stunting that's taking place here by just pretending that we don't exist. I don't know how stunted we are because we get along just fine without the acknowledgement. Not yeah. us, them. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and masonry in general. I mean, it is a disservice to the craft to exclude half of the human race. Like, we can't forget that that, that very basic <laughs> point does exist. Like, we are excluding half of the world's human being. Well, we are not, but some of masonry is excluding half of the world's human beings. That's a detriment to the craft, no matter how you look at it. But they, they weren't... This is a point that some people when I say it, makes them uncomfortable. The point of haunted chambers is they were not exactly excluded. Even if you, even if you agree with this idea that they were hiding in furniture, which I don't, um, they were still there. There is no period in the modern craft where I cannot document at least one woman Freemason. And given the active effort to suppress the memories of these women that I can do that is stunning. And so they weren't excluded, but there is increasing pressure to get them in. And they're met with uh, edicts. They're met with a lot of pressure to not allow them in. But it is interesting that co-masonry comes along at exactly the point that women can't get in. There are too many safeguards to allow them to get in. And so suddenly you have a bloom of co-masonry. It's across the ocean, but it's in this country by 1903. And now, there's, there's, you don't have to hide, even if we were hiding in furniture, we don't have to do that anymore. So women were never exactly excluded. It was harder to get in. 
but they did get in. I keep having these like Looney Tunes type images of women popping out of you know chairs and flower pots, like <laughs> bursting oh. at the seams to to you know learn the hidden Masonic secrets. And some of the stories they tell, it there's there's one that came out of Ireland in the 1830s, and it reminds me of Lucy and uh, her sidekick. I can't remember her name, Lucille Ball, and uh, the other actress's name. I'm so sorry. Uh, it sounds like a Lucille Ball episode. Uh, how they're going to sneak in and Laverne how and Shirley. Well, Laverne Shirley would be a more modern example, although it's still a little old. But yeah, it becomes off, it it is played for laughs, and it comes off as comedic, which I think points up why we should know that this idea that they were hiding in furniture is ludicrous, because it is too silly. They simply were allowed in, and then slowly not allowed in. And then the explanation of how they got in to begin with. And then let's make it harder and harder and harder for them to get in. But there's evidence that they're still getting in. And so the rules get more and more and more difficult. And only until the point where it's impossible for a woman to get in, then you see a bloom of co-masonry. Isn't that natural, though? It is. It's how, it's how humanity works. Uh, life, I, I'm going to quote <laughs> Jurassic Park, life finds a way. And in Freemasonry... This form of mixed masonry, women, Freemasonry, they have found a way. And it's just what it is, and it's not going anywhere. Quite the opposite, actually. I think it's going to grow. Because in today's world, in, in the, with the millennials and, and the change of, of, of our cultural consciousness and the progressive nature of humanity, I think this is, you know, co-masonry is a natural state to be in. Most institutions are co-ed now. And I agree with you, Brother Karen Kid. Like, you know, if, if male craft masons want to be male craft only, that's fine. I respect that. I, people should have choices. Well, and there's a place for that. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Just like there's a place for non-mixed uh, social institutions that uh, cater specifically to the needs of women or to the needs of men. That's There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But it, what's necessarily wrong is to say that uh, mixing a co-ed doesn't exist and shouldn't exist and cannot exist and has never existed before. And things have changed. You know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, moving back, men and women were very segregated in their daily activity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Men did their thing with other men. Women did their things uh, with other women. Husband and wife would come together infrequently compared to the relationships we have today. We live in a different conscious society where we are very co-ed. And so it's just more natural that something like co-masonry would become more predominant because it's just the way we exist now. You go to school, it's men and women. You go to work, it's men and women. You know, there's very few places that it's segregated. And while I respect that, that's just not the norm anymore. It's just Mm -hmm. changed. And it wasn't bad. And what we have isn't good. It's just changed. It's natural. And that's life. And it's, it's what is. Acknowledging what is, there's no harm in that. And there's no pressure to change anything. Why change? It's working. It, it, I think I said it already. We know the system can work because it does. And so there's no need to change it. There's really nothing in masonry I would change. I'm quite satisfied with it. But the fear is still there. And I, I do, I, I'm not going to try and explain the leap of logic because I don't understand it. Um, well, I remember talking, because I have a bunch of Melcraft Mason friends, um, and I remember talking to one who, who was an older fellow, and he asked me, 
how do you sit and lodge, Brother Matthias, with, with women? I said, what do, you, what do you mean? And he said, well, how do you do it? How do, you, how, do you not, uh, how do your passions just not come out of your pants? And I'm like, what? And he's like, no, no, no. How do you not want to, quote, unquote, f*** everyone? That's a woman in lodge. Wow. And I was really taken back from this. You know, sorry for my cussing here, but, you know, uh, that's exactly what he told me. And I was like, well, I mean, look, I mean, don't you go to church? And there's men and women. Do you want to have sex with every person there? I mean, the mall. I mean, how yeah. do you walk down the street? <laughs> I'm like, we're in lodge to do masonry. Like that's the furthest thing from my mind. You know, I'm there to do esoteric work, to be with my brethren, and to do the ritual and subdue your passions <laughs> to start with. <laughs> but that's just it. That is a passion, and he has admitted quite candidly that he cannot subdue it. He should stay in Mailcraft Masonry. Now, when I say that, it, it makes it sound like Mailcraft Masonry is a hospital for people with this character flaw. <laughs> this is not true. There are plenty of Mailcraft Masons who don't have that character flaw. But Mailcraft Masonry should exist for not just for that problem, but this is not a character flaw that should uh, bar him from the light. He should have access to Freemasonry. Absolutely. And he should have access to Freemasonry in an environment where he is comfortable. And so if he's got this problem, there's a place for him. You and I, Brother Karen Kidd, we've been in Paris several times. Yes. And we've gone to meetings at the, at the, at the Grand Orient of France, and we've been down in Rue Cadet, their wonderful building, you know, where there's dozens of meetings going on every night. It's really very cool. And they have lodges that are only men, they have lodges that are only women, and they have mixed lodges. Meeting the same night. Right next door to each other. Yes. But the amazing thing is that all visitors are allowed. So um, I went to a meeting, my wife and I, to a male-only lodge, and we saw a third-degree raising. And my wife was the only woman in the lodge. And there was nothing weird about it. It's, you know, they had invited us, we were allowed in, and we saw it, we thanked them, and we left. Yeah. And there wasn't anything strange. And, and I respect their right to meet only as men. But the fact that they would allow a woman to visit shows that they're a little more enlightened. They're, they're, they're a little more along with what masonry should be, which is progressive and accepting and tolerant. Now, they're very forward-thinking, but it is a totally different environment in France where uh, equality, fraternity, egalité, fraternité, I can't remember the three words. Liberté. Liberté, egalité, fraternity. These three things are an important part of their culture already. And it never quite made it across the channel, where belligerence against women in Freemasonry, traditionally until 1999, um, was the accepted case. Although there's, there is evidence that there are plenty, I wrote about them, there's plenty of evidence that in their early history there were women. Um, but so comparing France to, say, the U.S., it's a different climate. I know it's a different climate, Brother Karen Kidd, but we're the people that fought the American Revolution. You know, we... We've been progressive in science. We put a man on the moon. Yeah, liberty, I mean, equality, and fraternity were supposed to be an inherent part of our culture. This is also. a republic. This is an American experiment. It's a Masonic experiment. And it seems to have gone a little awry. Well, no, because it, it, if you go down that rabbit hole, then you're suggesting there needs to be a change. My argument is I wouldn't change anything. The only thing I would suggest is acknowledging the truth, that we already have a system, a triune, that Freemasonry in this country is triune in nature. We have lodges for women only, lodges for men only, and lodges that are mixed. 
and we just do. I agree with you, Brother Karen, but that is a change. Well, not for all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true. I'll agree with you there. Um, I have a question for you. Okay. What about moving back past, you know, 1717? What, What about operative lodges of masonry? Were there women operative masons? Yes, there were. Uh, in fact, I'm not the first person to write about them. Previous male, uh, male-only scholars wrote about these women, and mostly they were ignored. Uh, w. Fred Vernon, he's not writing about an operative mason, but he's an example of an early male craft mason writing about women Freemasons and operative women masons. I gave a paper at the World Conference on Fraternalism last year where I named names. I mean, you can go to Guildhall Records in London and dredge up the names of these women. And they're not widows. I mean, some of them are widows, but a lot of these women own their own shop and they train their own apprentices and they handle their own journeymen. And uh, their names are there. I'm not making this up. I'm not dreaming it. I, I, it's, it's not something that I came up with and I, it's not something that previous scholars came up with. It's just what it is. There were women operative masons. And since some Malecraft Masons had said that since women were not part of these operative guilds, therefore there can be no women Freemasons, that argument doesn't hold water. How far back in history can we go, Brother Karen Kidd, where we find these references to medieval um, female stonemasons? The, the earliest one that I know anything about is around 1340. Her name was Genilda the Mason, and that's the only thing we know about her. Ganilda Lamassan. Um, she is simply referred to in a court document in the close rolls preserved in the British Library. She was part of a case and she is named Ganilda the Mason. They're not particularly surprised she's a Mason. It isn't even about her Masonry. But that, the period before you have a last name, they name your profession. She's not the wife of a Mason. She is the Mason. She's the Mason, yeah. And, um, and it's again, I don't, I didn't make that up. It's right there. And no one, no one academically or no one outside of Freemasonry has ever tried to suppress that information. It's always been there. It's just been ignored. If we go back beyond operative masonry to let's say the ancient mysteries, Greek, Roman, whatever, are there women? participating in these mystery schools? Oh, sure. Uh, in some cases, they're, um, they have very leading roles um, in Egyptian religion. Women priests in ancient Egypt are extremely important. They work alongside male priests. This is the highest office that women can aspire to in ancient Egypt, unless your name is Hatshepsut. And there, but a point should be made even in the ancient period, you had organizations that were men only, you had organizations that were women only, and you had organizations that were mixed, and it was fine. It worked just fine. It was acknowledged, and nobody was worried about it, and the gender-based organizations didn't have to mix, and the mixed orders didn't have to segregate. No one even thought about that. So what you're saying is that people in the ancient world in some ways were more tolerant? Um, in some ways, it, it's, you, it, there's dangers in comparing modern uh, attitudes and ancient attitudes because they have a whole other thing going on. Um, there, there are functions that we would not do, even in co-masonry, we wouldn't do in mixed company uh, that they had no trouble with. Um, 
we don't mix as much now as the ancients did. Well, it, it seems to me that the divisions between people back then were based more on merit and ability than they were on any kind of uh, belonging to a certain group or collective. Like, if you were educated, it didn't matter the color of your skin or where you were from or if you were a man or a woman. If you could prove that you were educated, then you were obviously not a slave and then you belonged to the educated classes. didn't really matter. The, the lesser attributes of your personality weren't taken into account as much as if you could participate in these higher functions. Well, yeah, I mean, slavery in modern times was racial and in ancient times had nothing to do with the color of your skin or the gender that you had it was based on different contingent you it, was the, conquered. it was the strength of your army essentially yeah, exactly. like if, if your home country couldn't beat back an invading army well, you became a slave and either you freed yourself or you remained a slave well access to education is not necessarily gender based in the ancient period it tends to be more who you are do you have access to education because you were born in the correct family? It's more obvious in the ancient period than even in the medieval period. But this isn't to suggest that there is no misogyny. But you will notice that women are not educated. They have fewer rights. I think misogyny has been there probably from the beginning. And if, look, if we had a matriarchal society, it would just be the reverse. You know, it's just whoever's in power tends to want to keep that power yes. and put everyone else down. So I think that's why a good thing about our modern times is that there's trying to there's an attempt of equalization. Mm -hmm. We can not always agree on how that's being carried out, but the the sentiment of equalization is not a bad one. I think that's something to aspire to. But there's a, a lot Freemasonry at its heart is supposed to be a, a basically a, a, a system of mutual education. Uh, this idea that you can't be free unless you know who you are. Well, and also as it puts forward education as the path to freedom, you know, and and I think what's unique about mixed masonry is that it opens those doors to all people on an, on a level um, ground of acceptance. Anybody can approach those doors of knowledge and say, I would, I wish to liberate myself. You know, and, and it, of course, it's not to take away from segregated gender institutions. Those have a place. But I think that um, specifically, co-masonry occupies an interesting and unique place in that system in that it opens the doors to self-liberation to all people, no matter what their origin is. I'm obviously biased as a co-mason, but we all hey, are. it's a co-mason podcast. So um, I, I think it is the wave of the future, though. Again, I agree. I think there's place for women, um, Freemasonry, and for men, only Freemasonry. But I think co-masonry, with the way things are going, is the future of Freemasonry. And my reasons for having that opinion is that by including the other sex, we are opening up the possibility of more ideas, a different type mm -hmm. of creativeness, a different type of energy. When you exclude half of the human race, as you said earlier, Brother Axel, you're excluding half of your potentiality. Mm -hmm. And by opening up those doors, we're going to have more ideas, more directions, more resources, and that's going to make us prosper as we move forward. Well, there, there, there's a, an old song, an old labor union song, in fact, that refers to the raising of the women being the raising of the race. 
that you cannot raise the race unless both genders are involved. What's interesting, and now that you say that, it comes to mind, is I've been a co-mason for almost two decades, and I've been in many lodges. And we tend to have more women than men in our lodges because men have more options, masonically speaking, worldwide than women do. And I've been in lodges where I'm the only male. I'm the only man. And I've been in lodges where it's balanced. It, there's almost an equal amount of men and women. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. When you have almost an equal amount of men and women, there's a certain stability. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the two of you kind of agree with this, but there, there's a certain strength and stability to having, it doesn't have to be you know five men and five women, but just you know close, cl- close, close proportions. Enough, yeah. there, there's a stability, there's a strength, and there's a harmony that's created that where I think when it's mostly men or mostly women, there can be more problems. And it also acknowledges something that uh, people who aren't co-Masons are confused about. They think that in co-Masonry that gender does not matter. Gender does matter. Uh, it's just that it, we're not trying to exclude gender. We're no, trying we're, to... we're trying to combine gender. Yes. Because both both genders have innate abilities and unique perspectives and competencies when we like men and women are different and that's a good thing because they're different they're good at different things and when we combine those two halves they're more powerful than they are alone and that i think is what you're getting at when you say there's an energetic difference to sitting in lodge with a roughly equal contingent of men and women it feels more powerful because there are things that women can do that i can't just by virtue of them having a different human experience. And when those two things are combined together, there's a third thing that's created that's more powerful than the two component parts. But I think what, co- I think what co-masonry strives for is not to say uh, you're different because you're female, that we recognize individual differences. Mm-hmm. There are differences among men. There are differences among women. But we aren't going to see that unless we open up co-masonry to the entire human race well i think that comes to an interesting point about at least our flavor of co-masonry and universal co-masonry is that we refer to both men and women as brothers we don't use sisters and brothers we're all brothers and i have encountered people outside of the order that find that offensive how we not acknowledging the women and that it's only masculine uh, and I found people that celebrate the fact because it's it's creating less differences between the genders. We just we, you know we're just all brothers, and that's it. Uh, I think there's this idea that the term brother, as if we're using it, is gender based, mm-hmm. and I think it refers to something a little higher. I don't know what do you guys think. Well, brother Karen, I've heard you actually talk on this subject on a previous podcast before. It's not. It's not a gender appellation. It's a title. It's a title. That's earned. Yes. And, and if you don't earn it, you're not brother. Um, in fairness, in our early history, in the early 20th century, we did have frere at, uh, frere at Suer. We had brothers and sisters. It's something we had to grow into as well. We are not perfect. We did not come fully formed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's part of the evolution of Freemasonry in general. And I think it's an important point. I don't want to make it sound like uh, Malecraft masonry is flawed. There is no perfect masonry. If there was, we wouldn't need Freemasonry. Um, but now, today, as it exists, it's a title. And it's not, has nothing to do with my gender. 
And if somebody thinks it does, that is something they will have to examine. So I, I kind of want to delve into this idea a little bit further with you guys. Um, why is it a title? Why is brother used as a title and why does it transcend gender? Yeah, I think that's an, actually an important point because one question I have sometimes asked in our gatherings is, would it have been the same thing if we called all of our members sister? And I get a little bit of pushback on that point. Um, it's brother because we do come from the early ritual where it was all male. And brother is a title there. They all happen to be men. Our ritual has its lineage all the way back to the ancient mysteries. The ritual says brother. And so, and in fact, it, you have masculine pronouns that are maintained in our ritual. It happens to be brother. We haven't gotten it perfect, perfected to the point that everybody would be comfortable calling himself a sister. But we have reached a point where brother is a title. It's an interesting point. It's never been presented to me, what if we were all called sisters? But, I mean, frankly, I don't. it wouldn't matter to me personally. I think it's more important that we have one title. Because as soon as you have two titles, then you're creating a division. Right. And that division can lead to segregation. That division can lead to one group having a power over another group. While we maintain a singular title, we maintain a unity. And there's a power in that unity. Well, and I think, too, um, our order being somewhat more esoteric in nature, I think it does, from a symbolical perspective, speak to the idea that, you know, traditionally in the esoteric schools, the masculine aspect, and I mean from a hermetic standpoint or not like a gender-based standpoint, the masculine aspect is active, whereas the feminine aspect is passive and it's an interplay between those two forces that animates the universe and by calling ourselves brother we're kind of aligning ourselves with the active force in humanity we're going out we're doing things we're builders we're putting things together so to me it speaks on a more symbolical level of it's almost like we've we've picked a, a flow of energy to work with not necessarily um you know I think it would be different if we called ourselves sisters because it's a, it's a, it would be a different focus to me, symbolically. Yeah, but there's a danger there. If you're going to start, start applying esoteric ideas about the masculine and the esoteric feminine to human beings, it doesn't work. There are women who are very, who do a lot of building mm -hmm. and would esoterically be masculine. There are men who are really pretty passive. Esoterically, they would be feminine. You cannot apply these esoteric ideas to human beings. It doesn't work. I think we can't apply them as expectations on people. But um, in masonry, at least from uh, how I interpret it, I think that we attempt towards certain things and that we can work towards uh, cultivating these esoteric ideas within us. I don't think we're ever going to be one thing or the other. And I think people are obviously going to be differently balanced. But I think that that could be interpreted as one way of channeling people in a certain direction symbolically. And if we look at the word brother, as we go back in time, it, it doesn't have the connotation that it has today. Uh, a brother was 
was a title given in, in older organizations in the ancient world as being part of a religious community. And that could include men or women. It has matured into a word that denotes gender. Gender. But that's not what it was. It's more originally. like more like member, like uh, or exactly. com- or comrade or compatriot, something like that. Yeah. And today it's just a charged word in the, in the context we're using it. I mean, but I don't think it matters what the word we use, whether it's sister or brother, it's it's or, or some other word we could make up, for example, it, it'd be less charged if we just invented a new word. But in the future, it could be charged a thousand years from now. The fact of the matter is, I think the reduction of labels makes us more into human beings. Mm -hmm. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, are there different races? No, there's not different races. The genetic difference between someone that's African or somebody's European is... Minuscule. Is minuscule. We don't... We're one race. We're the human race. Okay? And we have different characteristics. I have black hair. You have blonde hair, Brother Axel. Okay, so are we are we completely different? You know, uh, you're six foot two and I'm five foot ten. Does that mean that we're completely different? No, th- these are minor differences between human beings. So I think what we're trying to do in co-masonry, and you're right, brother Karen Kid, it's an evolution because we're never going to have it perfect, but we strive towards mm-hmm. perfection. I hopefully we do. And that is to, in my opinion, to reduce the labels. Let's not let's not look at all these 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 things that are not important. You know how tall you are, what color your eyes is, color of your hair, how much you weigh, what you wear. It, these are just preferences, or these are things that are genetic. And in the end, they don't really mean anything because I think at the core, the real core of esotericism is what we are inside, mm-hmm. and that's something that is. Not determined by flesh. No, it's not determined by flesh, but it's more than that. It, we share the same thing. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I think that's that the core of esotericism is that we all have the spark of the divine inside of us. And that spark is the same spark. Of course. And I think that's equally true regardless of which branch of Freemasonry you're in. That spark is there in male craft masonry, it's there in female craft masonry, and it's there in co-masonry. It's part of what already exists. And as co-masons, we're going to continue to do our work regardless of whether we're recognized or they admit that we exist. But we do hope one day that we can all meet upon the level and go to each other's lodges and work together for the perfection of humanity and for the glory of God. I mean, I think if we can get to that point, Freemasonry can see the revival that it had in 1717. We can see things go back up instead of going down as they are now. Well, to return to a, a previous theme of ours, Brother Matthias, if we look back at the building of the Tower of Babel, that was done because humanity was united. We did not have division between us. The, the more division that we can strip away from the human race, the more powerful we will become. By every action that we take to remove division and walls between us, the closer we come to this invincible destiny that humanity can grasp if as long as we continue to shed these things as quickly as possible oh it won't be quick (laughs) (laughs) as as quickly as possible yes no it certainly won't be quick it's going to be generations at least um i i i never think that far ahead i'm quite content with masonry the way she is and okay i just said she uh (laughs) to me freemasonry is she um but it's 
it is what it already is. The rest of us just need to catch up. Well, and that's something I've heard from our most sovereign grand commander as an interpretation of why we use brother also, is that Freemasonry is, is a she. You know, the lodge is a womb, and we are the brothers inside the womb. Yeah. So there's a balancing between that mm-hmm. feminine and masculine energy. Just to throw that out as, as you know, an idea of, of, again, the mixing of these, these two polarities. Well, this actually brings up a very good point, uh, and something I have discussed with Malecraft scholars. Even in Malecraft lodges, the feminine is still there. The sac- sacred feminine, if you will. In female craft lodges, the sacred masculine is still there. In co-masonry, it's just a little more obvious. Um, this is something that already exists, whether you're comfortable with it or not. It's something that's part of nature, so of course it would make its way into Freemasonry. You know, we Freemasonry has been built by observing nature, and within nature, there is male and there is female. That's never going to leave Masonry. It, it couldn't be Masonry if it didn't include all that it, that exists. Brother Karen, you, you said something about, you know, Freemasonry is perfect the way she, she is. And I agree with you. I think she is perfect. We, as members, are not perfect. And so I think we, I'm not saying the three of us, I'm talking about the totality of Masons worldwide, we are the ones that degenerate the principles of the craft. We are the ones that skew the ideas and pervert them in such a way that creates division. So if we can truly work on our rough ashlers, if we can truly subdue our passions, then we can get back online with true Freemasonry, right? Right, I would agree. There, That actually leads into another point that I've heard. Um, there are some Malecraft Masons who have said to me that we are playing in Masonry because their Grand Lodge doesn't recognize us. And my response always is, I'm playing at Masonry, so are you. We're None all playing of, at Masonry. We're all playing at Masonry. <laughs> None of us is perfect. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Freemasonry. But we do need Freemasonry, Brother Karen Kid, and it's my firm and biased belief that universal co-Masonry is the future of Freemasonry. So that being said, brothers, we're about out of time here, Um, but I am going to end us on a a lovely quote from the January 1913 edition of of Universal Co-Masonry. Co-Masonry, in that it emits women, is something different, something distinct from the other Masonic bodies. It has not been organized and is not maintained in America to compete with any of them, to condemn or fight any of them, but to fill a role of its own. And that is to bring together in one organization men and women of all nationalities and races, of all creeds and political beliefs, and have them, through the greatest of all Masonic virtues, tolerance, work in peace and harmony to hasten the day when universal brotherhood shall be a reality, understood and lived. Thank you for listening to Legends of the Craft. This podcast is purely the opinion of brothers Matthias Concier and Axel Suvari and does not represent the official views of Universal Comasonry. Universal Comasonry is a Masonic order founded on the principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity that admits men and women without distinction of race, religion, or creed. For more information, please visit universalfreemasonry.org.